Let's open our Bibles together to the book of Acts, chapter 14 and verse 8. Acts 14.8 for our message from the Word of God this morning. Acts 14.8 will be located on page 1168. If you're using the old Schofield Reference Bible that we have there in the seats. Today's date is October 30th. 2022. Today's text is going to be in Acts 14, 8 through verse 18. And the title of this morning's message is A Gentile Who Walked the Walk. <laughs> You've heard of walking the walk and talking the talk? Well, This is a Gentile who walked the walk. And we begin with the story of a man who went to a healing kind of church one day. And the pastor looked at him and said, You will walk today. And the man replied, Well, thanks, but... I'm not handicapped. And the pastor leaned in and got in his face and said, you will walk today. And the man just kind of nodded. And then, after the service, he went to the parking lot and found that somebody stole his car. And he had to walk that day. (laughs) Well, speaking of walking, here in Acts 14, the Apostle Paul is about to run into a man who was handicapped and couldn't walk. But a man who also ended up walking that day. Just like the guy in our opening story. I direct your attention at this time to the first three verses of our text, beginning in Acts 14 and verse 8. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, like Paul could as a prophet, he said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And sure enough, the man leaped and he walked. Now, to begin with, I want to remind you that the stories in the book of Acts are not recorded in the Bible just to entertain us. 
They are symbolic of things that God wants to teach us. And since this man showed up at the beginning of Paul's new ministry among the Gentiles, he was a type of Paul's new ministry among the Gentiles. You see, before Paul came along, Gentiles were unable to do what Paul says we ought to do in your first reference in 1 Thessalonians 4.1. Paul says ye ought to walk and please God. Well, before Paul came along, only Jews could walk in ways that please God. Because only Jews could be saved. But now, Paul was out telling Gentiles how they too could be saved and please God by walking in his ways. So, when this man who couldn't walk heard Paul speak and got healed, he was a type of how all Gentiles could now hear Paul speak and be healed spiritually from their sins. You know, back in the Old Testament, if a Jew wanted to walk and please God, he had to hear what Moses said. That's what Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 11 and verse 22 when he said to the Jews, Keep all these commandments, which I command you to love the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways. To walk in God's ways in the Old Testament, you had to hear the words of Moses. But if Gentiles today want to do what Paul said and walk and please God, they have to hear the Apostle Paul speak like this guy did. You're seeing that pictured when the lame man heard Paul speak and was healed. Now, I want you to compare this healing to one that the Lord Jesus Christ did when he began his ministry to the Jews because he too healed a lame man. At uh, the end of the Lord's first year of ministry, in your next reference, it says in John 5, verses 2 and 3, At Jerusalem lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind and halt. Now, think it through for a minute. Since those old impotent people were at Jerusalem... We know they were Jews, right? And those impotent Jews were types of the nation of the Jews, the nation of Israel. So they illustrated how the nation was blind to the truth that the Lord had been given them for a year. And because of that, they were halt and couldn't walk in the truth that he was giving them. That's what that word halt means, you know. It means you're unable to walk. Now, 
The Lord probably healed more than one halt man that day. But the Apostle John only goes on to tell us about one of them. And he, we see that in John 5, verses 5 to 9. A certain man was there out of that great multitude of impotent folk in the verse before. A certain impotent man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he'd been now a long time in that case, he singled him out. He said unto him, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the guy walked. Now, John seems to be telling us that the reason the Lord healed this man first, and he's the only one he tells us about, is because the Lord knew the guy had been impotent for 38 years. Now, if you're a really, really sharp student of the Old Testament... (laughs) That reference to 38 years will remind you of what happened to Israel in your next reference when they left Egypt. In Deuteronomy 2, verses 1 and 14, it says, We turned and took our journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. After the Lord performed that flashy splashy miracle of parting the Red Sea. Now watch. And the space in which we came from Kadesh Barnea, I practiced that name all week, until we were come over the brook Zered was 30 and 8 years. Until all the generation of the men of war were wasted out from among the host as the Lord swear unto them. But now maybe you're thinking, wait a minute, Pastor. I thought God waited 40 years for that generation to die out in the wilderness. And if you're thinking that, you'd be thinking right. Look at the next reference. Numbers 32.13 says, And the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel. And he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years for the same reason. Until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was consumed. So, how come Moses is focusing in in that one reference on 38 of those 40 years? Well, the 40 years that the Jews had to wait in the wilderness to enter the promised land, that was a type of the 40 generations that the Jews had to wait to enter the kingdom. You say, well, where do you get that? (laughs) Look at Matthew 1 and verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David 
are 14 generations. And from David to the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ, who was wanting to give him a kingdom, are 14 generations. Now, if you're good at math, you're thinking, well, wait a minute. <laughs> that adds up to how many? 42 generations. But here you got to remember something. The first two generations were Abraham and Isaac, right? And the nation of Israel didn't exist until Jacob came along and God named him Israel. That means the Lord's generation was the 40th generation. And the Jews were supposed to enter the kingdom after 40 generations. Just like they entered the promised land after 40 years. But you know what happened. Instead of receiving the kingdom, the people of Israel crucified the Lord. When they did, God Almighty was ready to cut down the tree of Israel. But what did we see in our scripture reading in Luke 13 this morning? The Lord Jesus said to his Father in Luke 13, 8, Lord, let it alone this year also. After the Lord's three-year ministry to Israel, he asked his Father to give Israel just one more year to receive Christ. And God gave them one more year. In the first seven chapters of the book of Acts, when Peter and the eleven went out there and preached the Lord Jesus Christ. You check the dates on the top of the page when you go home. That covered one year. And at the beginning of that extra year, Peter healed a lame man to introduce his ministry to the nation Israel. Look at Acts 3 and verses 2 to 8. A certain man, lame from his mother's womb, lay daily at the gate of the temple. Then Peter said, Rise up and walk. And he, leaping up, stood and walked, walking and leaping and praising God. And the lame man that Peter healed there, folks, was a type of how Israel was still spiritually lame after the Lord's three years of ministry. But when he, Peter healed him, it showed that God was still willing to heal Israel through Peter's ministry. And you're seeing that picture there with that miracle. And you will never guess how old that lame man was in Acts 3. We find out in Acts 4.22, the next reference there. Speaking about the lame man he Peter healed in chapter 3, it says the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was shown. Well, here it helps to think a little what number is above the number 40? 
31. And that would account for that extra year that God gave Israel to enter her kingdom. Now you can't beat that with a stick. I mean, that's slicker than snot, as I heard one pastor say one time. Yeah, I know. But a year after Peter offered the Jews their kingdom, they stoned Stephen, so they had to remain spiritually blind and unable to walk and please God. So God raised up the Apostle Paul and started his new ministry among the Gentiles by healing a lame man. And that symbolized his new ministry. Alright, let's see what happens next back in your Bible now in verses 11 and 12. And when the people saw what Paul had done by healing that lame man, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lyconia, The gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter. And they called Paul Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. Now, to begin with, (laughs) all of that tells you that these Gentiles here were idolaters, right? They were idolaters who worshipped the sun and the moon and the stars and the planets. The area that God calls the host of heaven in more than one place, but look at 2 Kings 23 and verse 5 where it talks about the sun, the moon, the planets, and calls them all the host of heaven. And listen, that was something that Gentiles like these dudes here started doing 4,000 years ago when they said to each other in your next reference, Genesis 11.4, let's build us a city and a tower, the Tower of Babel, whose top may reach unto heaven. Now, (laughs) I know people like to read that and say, oh, isn't that quaint? They thought they could build a tower so tall they could climb it up into heaven the way you used to climb trees. How many of you used to climb trees? Raise your hand. There you go. (laughs) But listen, what they really built was a tower that was a religion that they thought would help them reach heaven when they died. A tower that would reach heaven. And it was probably like the temples in the Egyptian cities of Esna and Dendera. The temples in those cities had a ceiling with the zodiac painted on the stars. The host of heaven. And we've talked about this for before, but not for a number of years. The Zodiac is nothing more than a worship of the host of heaven. 
I know they don't think so, but think it through. The zodiac lets the stars tell you what to do, right? Well, we call that worship. Just ask any single man who ever worshipped a woman (laughs) and let her tell him what to do. Amen, guys? Yeah. Now, the thing about the Zodiac is that it is nothing more than a perversion of the way that God used to talk to the Gentiles before the Bible was written. During the the 2,500 years of human history that came between Genesis 1 and Genesis 11 before the Tower of Babel. Now, if you know how to read the stars, the circle of stars in the zodiac teaches the story of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the problem with trying to read a story that's a continual circle, I'm getting dizzy just trying to read it for you here, Uh, the problem with trying to read a story in a circle is you don't know where to start, right? And so, somebody built some sphinxes in Egypt to remind us of how to read the Zodiac. And listen, Egypt is where the Jews lived. The people who knew how to read the story of the Gospel still, after the Gentiles forgot. The Sphinx has the head of a woman and the body of a lion. That tells you that the story of the life of Christ that God put up there in the stars should begin with Virgo, the Virgin Mary. Did you know the sign of Virgo ends in September? Did you know the Lord was really born in September after he was conceived on December 25th? We've done that study too. And... The story of Christ's life in the stars ends with Leo to symbolize what the Lord is called in your next reference. Revelation 5.5 The Lion of the tribe of Judah. The Root of David. Hey, I don't have to tell you lions. Lions have always... They're the king of the jungle, right? Lions have always been associated with kings in human history. You know why? It's because they were so first associated with kings in the Bible in, in places like Proverbs 19, 12, and Proverbs 20, verse 2. The king's wrath is as the roaring of a what? Of a lion. The fear of the king is as the roaring of a lion. And someday, the Christ that was born of a virgin is going to come full circle and be a king in the kingdom of heaven on earth. The story was up there. I got some books on the bulletin table. You can't have them, but if you promise to bring them back, I'll let you borrow them to talk about that study. But the Gentiles corrupt 
accepted God's story into the Zodiac, when they rejected the story of the coming of the Christ. And here in Acts 14, thousands of years later, these Gentiles are still worshiping the stars and the planets like Jupiter and Mercury. Of course, after the Gentiles forgot how to read the stars, the host of heaven couldn't do any talking. (laughs) So the Gentiles made themselves priests to speak for the host of heaven. And we see that in verse 13 in your Bible now. Then the priest of Jupiter which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands unto the city and would have done sacrifice Uh, to Paul and Barnabas is the idea there. Now, the priest of Jupiter was going to offer animal sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas because that's what he usually did for the gods of Jupiter and Mercury. And here he thought the gods had come down. And that was another perversion of the religion that God gave the Gentiles. Going all the way back to a Gentile named Adam, and another Gentile named Abel, and another one named Noah. They were all Gentiles, folks. They weren't any Jews till Abraham came along. God told those men to bring him sacrifices, right? He said that long before he told the Jews to do it. God told them to offer sacrifices to him and then look to the story of the Christ that he put in the stars to learn from him. But... These Gentiles had perverted all of that into offering sacrifices to Jupiter and to Mercury and then looking to the stars to learn from them instead of looking to the stars to learn from God. So, this priest of Jupiter here sacrificed to Jupiter and then he taught them from the stars. He would say things like, when the moon is in the seventh house and Jupiter aligns with Mars. You're chuckling because you remember the song. When the moon's in the seventh house and Jupiter aligns with Mars, then it's going to be a good day for you, like the Zodiac usually said. You're going to make lots of money today, and don't forget to give me some you know, as your priest. Uh, that's what. And that's how these Gentiles in Lystra got messages from their gods. They wouldn't listen to any preacher who did not point to the Zodiac as he was telling them what the gods wanted them to do. So when the Apostle Paul came along and started speaking for God by pointing to the Bible instead of pointing to the stars, most of those Gentiles in Lystra put Paul on the pay-no-mind list. But not this guy. This impotent man listened. 
And you know what? That might be the way that Paul was able to perceive that he had faith to be healed. You remember when we were reading that verse up there in verse 9, I said Paul perceived he had faith to be healed, probably because Paul was a prophet, and maybe that's it. But listen, faith comes by hearing the Word of God, right? So when he sees everybody else turning away and one guy listening to the Word of God, he said, that guy's got faith to be healed. Now, did you notice up in verse 11 that the Gentiles said, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. Well, that too was a perversion of the story of the Lord in the stars. Because the true God did come down from heaven to earth, didn't He? Isn't that what Paul says in Philippians 2, 5-7? Christ Jesus, being in the form of God, was made in, was that his next word? The likeness of men. And the message of the Lord's incarnation like that was in the stars. But the Gentiles rejected it. And here they were making a perversion of it with Paul and Barnabas saying they were gods come down in the likeness of men. Did you notice back up in verse 8? It says the lame man couldn't walk from his mother's womb. What did we learn about Paul's mother's womb when we studied Galatians? Look at Galatians 1. 13 to 15. Paul says, I profited in the Jews' religion. But God separated me from the Jews' religion. Is that what Jesus says? No. He's telling you that he's giving a nickname to the Jews' religion. He's calling it my mother's womb. Paul's mother's womb was the Jews' religion, and the Jews' religion was a perversion of the religion God gave the Jews. Paul is saying, you know, I felt as warm and as safe in that false Jews' religion as a baby feels in his mother's womb. So, when this guy in verse 8 When it says in verse 8 that this man couldn't walk from his mother's womb, that symbolizes how Gentiles couldn't walk in ways that please God, going all the way back to when they perverted the religion God gave them in the stars. And once again, if you didn't follow that, it would be in the bullet. (laughs) But now, why would why would they call Barnabas Jupiter? Well, if you remember what you learned in school about the planets, is Jupiter the smallest of the planets or the it's the biggest of the planets? So the god that the Romans, the false god that the Romans named after it was called Jupiter. Jupiter was the Roman version of the Greek god who? Anybody? Zeus, the the biggest of the of the Greek gods, and to bring it all to Barnabas, Barnabas was probably named after the bigger planet, or the biggest planet, because he was bigger than Paul. 
You know what the word Paul means? Anybody? Small. That's one of the reasons. Well, I was going to say that's one of the reasons we think the Apostle Paul came up short. Yeah, that's it. So they called Barnabas after the big god, the big planet. And they called Paul Mercurius after Mercury, who was the messenger of the gods. You ever seen pictures of Mercury? He had wings on his feet. Because he was the god who was in charge of carrying messages from the gods down to men. And since Paul was doing the talking, they figured he was bringing the message from the gods. (laughs) Now, look back at verse 13. When they brought oxen to sacrifice for uh, Paul and Barnabas and garlands. Anybody know what a garland is? A garland is a little wreath of leaves that you wear on your head like a crown. Look, go home and look up pictures of Julius Caesar and Nero, the Roman kings, the Roman emperors, and a lot of times you'll see them with little wreathy garland crowns. So now we got to ask, why would they bring garlands that were fit for a king to Paul and Barnabas if they thought they were gods? Well, don't forget, the story God wrote in the stars said that when God came down in the likeness of men, he'd be a lion-like king. Leo! So, those garlands were another perversion of the religion God gave the Gentiles in the stars. When they tried to make kings out of their gods, Paul and Barnabas, by giving them garlands. Well, what would you do if people were about to worship and adore you and burn an animal in front of you? in front of you to sacrifice to you. Well, let's find out what Paul and Barnabas did in verses 14 and 15. Which, when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard they were going to sacrifice to them, they, they tore their clothes. The Jews are always tearing their clothes to show how frustrated they were. And they ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you. And we preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God. Planets aren't living. Stars aren't living. God is living. He's the one who made heaven and the earth and the sea and all things that are therein. Now, when Paul says we're we're, we're men of like passions... That word, you look that up in a good dictionary, and the first definition of the word passion means, listen now, I know it's getting late. Passion means the ability to be affected by an external influence. Do you know why at Easter time, churches put on what they call what? Passion plays about the crucifixion of Christ. It's because the Lord Jesus Christ, 
allowed himself to be affected by the external agent of the Romans. Churches get that word from your next reference in Acts 1, verses 1 and 3. They might not use the King James Version anymore, but this is where they get it. Jesus showed Himself alive after His passion, after His death, after He let those external agents kill Him. The Lord was God in the flesh. So He didn't have to let any external agent do anything to Him. And when he did, it was called passion. So so when Paul says that he and Barnabas were of like passions, like you guys, he's telling them, we're not gods. Gods can't be affected by other people like we can. Gods don't take any guff from anybody. But we're, we're men of like passions like you. I can't believe I'm going to quote Shakespeare. I hate Shakespeare. (laughs) Anyway, as as Shakespeare said in The Merchant of Venice, if you prick us, will we not bleed? That's what Paul's telling these guys. We're just like you. And in verse 15, when he says, you guys got to turn from these vanities... That's a word that's associated with idolatry in, well, in a lot of verses. But look at Isaiah 44.9. They that make a graven image are all of vanity. So Paul's telling them, turn away from this vanity of making gods out of men and worship the God who made men. The God who made everything in the world, including men. It's kind of what the prophet Jeremiah told the Jews when they fell into idolatry in Jeremiah 14.22. Are there any among the vanities of the Gentiles? Any idols there that can cause rain? (laughs) Whenever there was a drought, they're praying to their false gods. Or can the heavens give showers? Art not thou he, O Lord our God, Thou hast made all these things. But now maybe you're thinking, well, wait a minute. Why did God let the Gentiles worship idols for 2,000 years without telling them something about himself? Well, that's something that Paul answers in the next verse in your Bible, in verse 16. In Acts 14.16, after talking about God at the end of verse 15, it says, Who, in times past, suffered all nations, all the Gentiles, to walk in their own ways. Now that word suffered means allowed. So when it says God suffered the Gentiles to walk in their own ways, That means they rejected God's way to walk in their own ways. And he did, so he just let them. At the Tower of Babel, he said, if that's what you want, I'll let you walk in your own ways. God never makes anybody worship him who doesn't want to, folks. Not even his own people, Israel. Look at what God told Hosea in Hosea 4, 16 and 17. Israel slideth back as a backsliding heifer. Did you ever hear of a backsliding Christian? comes from verses like this. 
Israel slideth back as a backsliding heifer. Ephraim, and that's just another name for Israel, is joined idols. That's how they were backsliding. So what does God tell Hosea to do about it? Let them alone. God told His prophet, if my people want to worship idols, like the Gentiles did, then I'll let them. Just like I let the Gentiles do it. I let them walk in their own ways. Now, God didn't leave the Gentiles completely in the dark. Just because He stopped talking to them doesn't mean He stopped witnessing to them. Look at verse 17 in your Bible now, in Acts 14.17. After saying in verse 16, He let the Gentiles walk in their own ways, He said, nevertheless, He left not Himself without witness in that He did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice to them. Now, when it says in verse 17, he didn't leave himself without witness, God kept witnessing to the Gentiles through the witness of his creation. Look what Psalm 19.1 says. The heavens declare the glory of God. You ever hear the story of Napoleon? Napoleon is a famous preacher story. Napoleon walked in on a bunch of his generals one day and found that they were debating the existence of God, whether there really was a God. And uh, they had concluded there wasn't any. <laughs> and supposedly... Napoleon pointed at the stars and says, Gentlemen, <laughs> how do you explain those? Everything that is created has to have a creator. The heavens, in um, Psalm 19.1, declare the glory of God and the firmament, the host of heaven, shows His handiwork. You say, well, that's not as good as talking to the Gentiles. But you know what? God says it is. God says otherwise in Psalm 19, 2 and 3. After saying that the heavens declare the glory of God, He says, day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night show knowledge. There is no speech or language where the voice of the stars is not heard. You say, well, yeah, but rain and fruitful seasons, that's not going to make men come to God. Well, you know what? God says otherwise. Look at Psalm 36, 6 and 7. O Lord, Thou preservest man and beast with rain and fruitful seasons. The beasts eat the, fruit, the, fruits, <laughs> the fruitful fruit too. How excellent is Thy loving, loving kindness in preserving us that way, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of their wings. Now, don't get me wrong. The majority of Gentiles didn't get saved by seeing rain and fruitful seasons. But hey, the majority didn't get saved by the preaching of the gospel in the stars either, did they? The majority never get saved by any kind of witness and preaching, do they? Now, 
It's true that idolaters often think that the God they're worshiping is the one giving them rain. But you know what? That was even true among the Jews in your last reference. Look at this. And uh, if you're of a Catholic background, as I used to be, this is you'll find this interesting. In Jeremiah 44.17, the Jews were fallen into idolatry, said to Jeremiah, We will certainly burn incense under the Queen of Heaven. <laughs> I grew up hearing it taught that Mary is the Queen of Heaven. She's up there and she's now Queen. No, no, no. This is a false god that the Jews were worshiping. And they were telling Jeremiah, we will certainly burn incense to the queen of heaven and pour out drink offerings to her. Why would we do that? He says, well, as we have done. We've been doing that. Because, it says, for then had we plenty of idols and were well. And saw no evil. They said to Jeremiah, you know, when we were worshiping the, 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 the queen of heaven, we had plenty to eat, we had rain, we had fruitful seasons, everything was peachy. And now you bring us back to God and He's wanting to punish, punish us for our idolatry. So, you know, that kind of a thing. So, it's obvious that sometimes the God you worship gets the credit for rain and fruitful seasons. In Jeremiah's time, all the time that God was putting up with their idolatry and continuing to give them rain and fruitful seasons, they thought it was coming from the Queen of Heaven. But there were always a few, a very few, who believed and got saved. Both among the Jews and the Gentiles. And if you're glad you're one of them, say amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank You for this astounding book that we hold in our laps this morning that tells us about an astounding God. A God who spoke the heavens into place with a word. And now as we look through the pages of your eternal book, we see how those stars spoke to people, spoke to men for 2,500 years before there was a Bible through those stars. What, What a great God we have. A God like that demands our worship. A God like that who then cares enough about us to send His Son to die for us calls on us to give Him our service every day of our lives. May that be our prayer today as we leave. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.